0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode.
1: Um, As we start out this evening, I'd just like to ask you just one simple question. Looking back over the last months, maybe even years, um, how many minutes every day do you believe it would take you to have a deep, an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Especially as we kind of look back over this last year, kind of right at the close, um, I kind of laugh a little bit. I can think of all the reasons I don't have time more than all the reasons that I do have time. God has called some of us to be fathers and mothers, some providers outside the home, some inside the home, and just a slew of other things. I'm sure each of you are thinking different things here but if you were willing to dare to put a number of minutes, we need to have a relationship, what would you write down? So I'm not gonna ask you to shout your number out because just thinking back to getting married, how awkward it would be to look at Kristen and say, you know what, this week it's gonna take you, me, probably 10 minutes a day and we'll have a deep relationship doesn't really work that way. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's an interesting kind of thought. Um, I was starting to think about time, and time is very similar to money in a lot of different ways. We have, it's easy to use, hard to keep track of, and will never last. You have a certain amount of money you can make each year, and you've got a certain amount of money and time um, for your life. As I, just from the business side at Garb Electric, we've, each year we sit down, and we set down pretty much like a whole month. And each division comes together and what they think they will make, what they think they will spend, and what we'll have left over. And I've wondered if we would set down at the beginning of the year and also look back at where we spent our time money. What would we change going forward? What do we need to put in place going forward? So, kind of while we're thinking about this, if you could open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's kind of the main area I'll be focusing on. So the historical kind of perspective on where we're at in the Bible is the nation of Israel has been within the borders of what we know as Israel for about 300 years now. Um, The prophet and judge Samuel has sons, but the sons were corrupt, taking bribes, and it says perverting justice in chapter 8, verse 3 there. Not only were the Samuels' boys corrupt, but the nation's elders were looking at this older man, Samuel, and starting to get, grow concerned about where the nation would be um, going in the future. And it was honestly a legitimate concern. It's, if we look at a president that's getting older, you, you start kind of wondering. So in an act of rebellion against God, they lift up their eyes to their enemies who surround them and request a man-king. And as you and I both know, this would not be the first that the nation of Israel had to lift up their eyes to their enemies. Several examples I can quickly think of is um, Egypt. When they left Egypt, um, Moses is up on the mount, and they bring the gold from their enemies, the Egyptians. And in the words of Aaron in Exodus 32, 24, I took the gold they gave me, threw it in the fire, and poof, the golden calf came out. So, it's it's there. In Judges, in Joshua, the Israel leader dies and is buried. One generation later, and the nation of Israel was is worshiping the gods of their enemies. So God raises up judges to deliver them due to their groaning from oppression and torment. You can read that in Judges 2:18. So as we keep moving through the Old Testament, it it's Kind of fun to read that with kids because after a while the kids start picking up, well, they're they're gonna fall down and they're gonna get captured. Something bad's gonna happen to them, and God's gonna deliver. And it just it's just a cycle after cycle after cycle. But when they cry out, God hears. He allows them to go their way, but he offers a deliverer. So as we go back to the text. Roughly 300 years later, this all bubbles to the surface once again. Now they're demanding a king no matter the consequences, even when warned multiple times by the prophet Samuel. So in 1 Samuel 18, verses 11 through 18, we see Samuel's warning about a king. So if we read, starting in verse 11, it says, And he, this would be the prophet Samuel speaking, said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots and to his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint captains over thousands and even captains over fifties. And will set them to ear his ground, to reap his harvest, to make instruments instruments of war and instruments of of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them. And give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed, and of your vineyards, and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your donkeys and put them to work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. And he shall and ye shall cry out that day, because of your king which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you on that day. So that's a very, very sharp rebuke as you look back at the nation of Israel, how they cried to God, he would raise deliver, just constantly, constantly. And as we see in the, just this last verse, last 18, the Lord will not hear you in that day. But just like in previous times, the nation of God once again reject him and his leadership. And in verse 19, they go into complete rebellion by rejecting God and telling him no. Before we move on to reading about this complete rebellion, let's remember what's on the line. Everything in the past, when they cried out to God, he would hear them and rescue. But the nation still wants to move forward no matter the consequences. So if you read, in, starting in verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, their prophet, and they said, "Nay, be, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they're doubling down on it. They want to be like all the nations around them. And what we see in the rebellion of a nation can still happen today. It's not new and quite honestly it should be expected from a nation that is rejecting God you want to look at the United States, you see the same rebellion. It doesn't matter what side you're looking at it from, Republican, Democrat, left, right. It doesn't matter what news station you're looking at. You're seeing the same rebellion. We need to turn back to God as a nation. Not only is it expected of nation to turn towards people, but how often would you look at your own lives and realize in our own rebellion, in moments of our life, how many opportunities we pass up to chance to witness our friends and family. And I especially think of it in this Christmas season. We've got family that aren't in church very often. How often did I witness to them? Display God's love. How many times have we spoken to our children and caused anger in their hearts? How many times this year did we not love our wife or husband in a way that is like Christ and his church? Marriage, That marriage that's supposed to be in a, kind of a foretaste of what heaven will be. So after consulting with God on the, mat, the matter, Samuel sends everyone back to their city until a later time. Complete rebellion. So into this environment, you get the, the handsome and tall son named Saul. And he's bolting through Israel, chasing these donkeys. Saul still can't find these donkeys but he's supposed, that he's supposed to be leading. <clears throat> I mean, herding. When his servant suggests they contact a man of God that lives in the area, the man of God is the aging prophet Samuel. As I was kind of reading through this, it kind of made me think of the um, where where Jesus maybe have been, have been born in that tower and maybe he cooked right past there, looking for those donkeys, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say, or it does say that he asked around, maybe he asked some of David's uh, brothers, it's hard to say. What Saul does not realize is that this is a divine appointment with Samuel, who was told a day before that he was coming, and to bring him to that feast. Samuel meets Kings, not King Saul, but will become King Saul at the gates and invites him to the feast where he is giving a special portion. The next day, on the way out of town, Samuel anoints King Saul as king over Israel and then sends him on his way to continue seeking the donkeys. After doing some prophesying with the prophets and a few tests of faith, Saul will eventually find the donkeys he is seeking and return home. When asked by his uncle, hey, what did Samuel say? I mean, we know he talked to you, what did he say? And he's like, ah, oh, he told me where the donkeys were. Totally not mentioning what God had given him. If we fast forward through the life of Saul, something very interesting we can observe. From the Bible, Saul went through several events missing a very important key. We see him chasing his father's donkey. He's known a king, finds the donkeys, returns home to continue farming, Defeats the Ammonite army, fights the Philistines, where David would have defeated Goliath. Offers burnt sacrifice without waiting for Samuel. Defeats the Philistines, which is a large majority of the work of Jonathan, his son. Defeats the Amalekites, but saves Agag the king. And then is rejected by God. So as I was just reading through Saul's story, you'll notice that the Bible does not mention once that I could find that King Saul delighted himself in the Lord and never mentions Saul crying for God to save them from their enemies. It does say that the Spirit of God came upon Saul, but not that Saul sought out God. And if we look back over Saul's life, it was the men who surrounded Saul that stood up, not King Saul. As we see him chasing the donkeys, The servant says, hey, Saul, there's this man of God. We need to go talk to him. He'll tell us where the donkeys are. After he's anointed king, continue chasing the donkeys. After he finds the donkeys, he never mentions God's anointing to his uncle. Returns home to farm, no life change. Defeats, and then when it does come that the Ammonite army has come up against Israel, the spirit of God rushes upon Saul, which causes him to lead. During the fight with the Philistines, David stands up for God. When he's preparing for battle, he's wanting to offer sacrifices, but instead of waiting for Samuel, his time was more important than God doing the right thing. So he does it for him. Ignores God again. Defeating the Philistines, you have Jonathan stands up for God. If if God is for us, then we'll go through. If he's not, we'll stop. Defeated the Malachites, he saves Egeg, the king, sheep, and a whole bunch of other things. But he does that because he's fearing man rather than God. And then ultimately, when he's rejected by God, instead of falling on his face, similar to what we would think of as with David as with Beersheba, falling just in deep mourning. King Saul has the gall to turn around to Samuel and say, could you come out with me? Trying to save face still before the people. He's still fearing the people more than God. And it does make you wonder what God would have done in the life of King Saul if Saul would have taken the time from his busy schedule, his time bank, and spent time learning from God. What could have he learned, or even the preacher Samuel? So what are we to do this tragedy? Was Saul just a misunderstood, shy ruler, unprepared to lead? It wasn't his fault, was it? God appointed him, after all. Maybe it was his parents' fault. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to come up with the reasons that Saul failed as a king. As a father, as a role model, as the first king in Israel, And the reason I think that it's easy to notice to give King Saul excuses is because we use a lot of those excuses ourselves. I'm failing as a father or mother because of how I was raised. I'm failing to be a good husband or father because of my past relationships. I'm failing to come to church because fill in the blank. It it could be anything. There could be legitimate reasons. I'm failing to share the gospel because... I was never taught how for my Father. We all have valid reasons why we can't be dedicated followers of Christ. But what's the underlying issue? Where is my relationship to my Heavenly Father who created me and made me for such a time as this? He has set in front of me a race to run. Christian life is a race. It's, there is an end. Am I going to run it on my own strength? And as we look at King Saul's life, he was running on his own strength. He didn't need God. Am I going to do that this year? He wants to spend time with you and me, but we have to understand that we have a responsibility to set God as a priority in our life. King Saul didn't have that priority. He was willing to offer sacrifice without God's help. He didn't need God. We can physically live lives away from God, but let's not fool ourselves into believing that we can live so without consequences. God doesn't want excuses. He simply asks for a relationship. We will never be perfect. I will never be a perfect father. You will never be a perfect mother or father, grandfather, grandmother. We will never be perfect. But he's asking that as we go into this year that we stop we look back at last year, at the, let's be honest, the failures. There's things I look back at last year, and you, you just wonder, why did I do that? Why didn't I take the time to sit down with God each morning? Why didn't I spend more time in the Bible with my children? But he's, ask, he's, he's asked for a relationship. So whether that be reading or listening to him through his word, talking to him in prayer. That's up to you and him. Kind of in a conclusion here, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 10. As I was kind of preparing here, I, I had originally kind of wanted to do a comparison between King Saul and King David. And honestly, the The amount of just treasure in King Saul's life, as as you read through it and you look at it, you kind of compare it to your own life, how similar it is. It's it's a little bit shocking. But if we go to Psalms 10, probably a Psalm of David here. Um, So let's just read it. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? David's seeking. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them take in the device that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorred. The wicked, this is the main point right here. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. His ways are always right, grievous, thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he puffeth at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the village. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth and wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest a mischief in spite to require it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, and the evil man seek out his wickedness till thou findest none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou will prepare thy heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. It's a, it's, a, it's a shocking difference between the humility of David as he's crying out to God. The wicked, through the pride of his counts will not seek after God, God is not in all his thoughts. If you were to continue to study the life of Saul, you would see that he starts throwing javelins, threw one at David, but ultimately he's even throwing javelins at his own children. So as we go into this new year, what can we learn from Saul's life? If we were to look at your balance sheet of time, will it be like Saul spent chasing donkeys? Or will you look back at at the time spent with your Savior in the quiet moments of life, preparing for the loud moments in life. That's where, that's where Saul was. He had not prepared in the quiet moments with his Savior. So.
0: Father, I think I can speak for Saul that we identify with oftentimes chasing after the, the trivial things of life, uh, the things that just keep us on the move that rob us of our time, our focus, and don't even pause to notice you. Lord, I'm struck by how many times it was mentioned tonight that, that Saul just all but ignored you, ignored what you had done in his life in anointing him to be the king, ignored how that you had answered prayer, that you had uh, provided victory. Lord, how many times he just just seemed to be so hard towards you. Oh, Lord, help us Help us to be um, seeking after you. Help us to value what you're doing in our lives more than what we are doing with our lives. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be as a David who did delight uh, in you and delighted after your word, delighted after um, what you thought of him. And so, Lord, help us uh, just to remember these things as we continue forward in this year. Thank you for this this year that you've given us. Lord, there's challenges that we're having to navigate. Help us not to get sidetracked by them. I pray that we be able to stay focused on you and pursue you and love you most of all, and in all things to please you. So Lord, continue to grow us together. Thank you for uh, this lesson tonight, Brother Grant. I thank you for Uh, His diligence and study tonight was exemplified. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless him and shape him uh, in the days ahead. And we thank you for how you've used him in our hearts tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.